Hey, Pasa Mufasa. Willkommen to the Michael Pernur podcast. Yes, that's welcome in German, because today on the pod, we've got our first ever guest from Deutschland. That's Germany in the Queen's English. And he is a very impressive, well-spoken, and devoted Michael Pernur, who is intimately involved in spreading the mushroom gospel and spearheading closed-loop, purpose-driven change in his community, in his country, and beyond. Fungi friends, please extend a warm embrace to Janice Rice of Symbio Foods. Basically, if you grow mushrooms on on wood or on lignin or cellulosis, you bioconvert that, those long uh, carbon hydro chains into something else that you can use as food or medicine or whatever. Janice is fully invested in bringing medicinal mushrooms to the German market and in doing so, educating his peers about the power and the efficacy of functional mushrooms but also the broader ecological implications of converting waste into useful products through a proprietary process that they call bioconversion over at Symbio Foods. And we're going to dive into that shortly. We are also going to talk about the work that Symbio Foods is doing to mitigate the water scarcity issue that we're facing as a global village. We're going to talk about the recent launch of Symbio Foods Microdose Mushroom Tea, We're talking about supply chains and their impact on micropreneurs. Thank you for joining us today. Shout out to everyone who is actively working with mushrooms at the farm or in the lab. We appreciate you. Extra big love to you and your mushrooms today. So let's get this show on the road. Okay, Pasa Mufasa, Janice Rice, co-founder of Symbio Foods, based out of Germany. How are you doing today, Janice? Thank you for having me. I'm doing very well. Thank you very much. So first off, congratulations on launching Symbio Foods Microdose Mushroom Tea and going to market. That is badass, dude. You have helped birth a functional mushroom product out into the global village at scale. And I'm very excited about that for both of our sakes. I love hearing micropreneurs' origin stories, especially when they start on the other side of the world from where I'm based. So, Janice, why did you decide to create a company that makes and sells microdose functional mushroom tea? That's a good question. It's, it's, I mean, I follow the, the U.S. market and I listen to your podcast and it seems kind of different in the U.S. how the whole microsphere is going. Like it's, it's a scene. There's lots of people interested, probably also more people. But in Germany, you barely hear about functional mushrooms anywhere. I mean, there are a few established companies. And the idea for Zimia Foods was actually born in Southeast Asia. So I was traveling to Thailand because I was helping a family, like friends of mine that try to grow microgreens. I don't know whether you know what that is. Like, I think in the U.S. people know, but in Germany, I'll always have to explain. And they wanted to do this with an hydroponic farm. And since as a young child, I was a buyer freak and I was uh, breeding shrimps and doing all sorts of stuff. Uh, I was kind of into this hydroponic farming and aquaponic farming. So I just flew over there and built up this hydroponic farm. And the thing is, for microgreens, you don't want soil or you don't want, I mean, for hydroponic farming, you need some sort of substrate, which gives the root structure. But it's not supposed to give nutrients or anything like that. So usually um, for microgreens, people use coco coir or like hemp fiber. And 
they wanted to use hemp fiber and I thought it's kind of a waste if you just throw it away after you grew your microgreens for two weeks. So I was experimenting with growing mushrooms on them and after some pasteurization it worked and that was very interesting. I saw later that year a, a mushroom farm in Vietnam and it was very frustrating because make, doing business there as, as a German is not that easy of course and coming back and I still I was still studying in Germany a biodiversity and ecology so there's some sort of fable for ecosystems and all that and then I teamed up with a friend and I just thought why, why not just growing mushrooms in Germany and explore whether we can maybe use other waste streams um, as a substrate for mushrooms or maybe use SMS like spent mushroom substrate as a medium for something else so that is kind of like where it all started. The idea with the microdose tea was we wanted to offer because there's mushroom coffee already but we didn't see any um, mushroom tea so that was very interesting for us and uh, we th we love lion's mane it's the first mushroom that we cultivate we wanted to serve a product that kind of helps you to work it's, it's very hard for me to advertise the product with what it's supposed to do because in germany you're not allowed to um, make any statements that suggest any health benefit you're actually not allowed to do that here um, i think in a podcast i can do it we all know lion's mane is something good for the brain and we thought maybe we can combine that with a plant that also has some beneficial effects on the brain just like mushroom coffee caffeine is a thing however we are, we're not allowed to also put l-theanine in the mushroom coffee that we wanted to make originally so because l-theanine it's an amino acid and paired with caffeine it has like some sort of synergetic effect on the physiology of whoever takes it because the caffeine you, you you benefit longer from the caffeine and you don't crash afterwards and naturally those two compounds occur simultaneously in, in different plants for example green tea which is uh, camellia sinensis but the problem with this plant is if you brew it for too long it gets bitter and you want to brew a mushroom long so you can actually get those polysaccharides and those triterpenes out so we needed a plant that you can brew for over five minutes uh, without getting bitter. And then we found guayusa, um, Elex guayusa is the plant. It's, it's a cousin to the famous um, mate tea. I don't know how you say it in English. Mate, yeah, it's, it's very similar, but the good thing about it is it's less strong in taste and it has even more L-theanine and caffeine. So it was the perfect plan to combine with lion's mane. I know one single phrase in German, and it comes in handy way more often than you might expect for such an obscure declaration, and that is, Schau, eine Katze, which of course means, look, a cat. But beyond that, my German is subpar, so I was perusing the Symbio Foods website, learning as much as I could about the company, and I noticed that the core innovation you've positioned your brand around is something that you call bioconversion. Can you walk us through what bioconversion is and how it applies to the world of mushrooms? Bioconversion is basically to use the, the metabolic genius of a species to turn one organic substance in another. And the best thing would be if this other organic substance is something of more value to you or you can make something better out of that. And basically, if you grow mushrooms on, on wood or on 
lignin or cell cellulosis, I think you call it in English, um, you bioconvert that, those long uh, carbon hydro chains um, into something else that you can use as food or medicine or whatever. And after that process, uh, you have this SMS, spent mushroom substrate, and I thought it's funny because uh, SMS also phone messages, right? And in the literature, they call it like that because it's spent mushroom substrate. And you can also bioconvert that. And we're currently working a lot um, on that. And we're also, th also thinking of intellectual property. So I cannot talk that much, but um, we successfully grow certain insect species on this substrate. Um, and we don't just throw the, the spent mushroom substrate away. We found a very good way to bioconvert that. And the whole process from wood substrate, we also use hemp sometimes, to the insect, we can bioconvert like 70% of the organic material into medicinal mushrooms and insect proteins. So yeah, that's that's something I'm very excited about and, and, and I hope there will be lots of development so I'm also very curious and excited to talk about another concept that I've seen SymbioFoods address with the products that you're making. And this concept is intimately tied to the lens that I bring to the intersection of humanity and fungi and my awareness of global environmental and socioeconomic issues, and that is water consumption. Clean and accessible water is such a vital resource. And with the ever accelerating global population growth and our consumption patterns and trends at large, water is becoming an increasingly privatized and profit-driven industry rather than a human right. And I think a huge part of that is the cattle industry and meat consumption, which I'm certainly guilty of supporting but I'd love to see a future where mushroom proteins and insect proteins are accepted in mass and in some cases prioritized over animal proteins. I live in Mexico and both insects and mushrooms are an integral part of the pre-Columbian diet and still widely available in many of the local markets. I've recently purchased some flying ants and wild fungi which I put into some tacos. I've also seen caterpillars for sale very recently. Crickets, of course, being another one that's a legitimate and bona fide source of insect protein. How do the products that you make at Symbio Foods address and mitigate the increasingly alarming situation surrounding the global water supply and water consumption situation? Producing mushrooms also requires water, right? And um, I think it would be good if you if we find ways to like get that water bag or use this water in some sort of way but especially i think this water problem we have and this and this insane water consumption like people have in the west is especially um i think good example is the meat like the cattle industry it's crazy i mean you spend 1000 liters of water for one kilogram of meat like that's that's insane and it's and it's clean water that some people don't have to drink and that's why also I think the insect market is booming at the moment because it's it's kind of obvious if you want to have animal proteins. I mean, some people believe, and I'm, I'm not a, a specialist on, on how you should eat and what kind of proteins are better for your system or whatnot, but some people believe like animal-based proteins are better. And in this case, um, probably in future, we have to get cozy with insects, I guess, because it's just such a such a good way to bioconvert again 
waste materials into proteins and use maybe two liters for one kilogram of, of meat, um, which is much, much better, better for the planet. Do you guys sell in physical retail locations in Germany and the European Union, or are you primarily available exclusively through online channels? I think there you touch a very important topic to us and also a topic that that is very different in Germany compared to the US. Like the marketing is a huge problem because you're not allowed to to claim anything. Like any claim that has anything to do with health and your product, you're not allowed to to make this claim. Like it's it's illegal literally. So you there's some vitamins and some minerals, they're in a catalog and there's particular sentences that you're allowed to use if this vitamin, niacin or whatever is in your product. But those, the functional mushrooms and medicinal mushrooms, they're not in the catalog yet. So that's a huge problem. So we cannot really market it in, in retail because uh, in retail people walk through the store and they see a very expensive product and you cannot educate the people on the spot about why they should buy this product and why it's a good product. So at the moment, our whole... Um, distribution of our products is, is based on our online shop and we just launched so that's uh, in its very beginning and I, I think there's so many things that we can make so much better about this but that's the probably first first way that we will distribute our products all right let's talk psilocybin I had a wondrous psilocybin mushroom experience in Berlin in 2015. I was hanging out with some real freaks of nature and I saw a lot of people dressed in really tight black leather and they looked like shapeshifters moving between dimensions. They probably were, but I actually think that's just a regular Tuesday in Kreuzberg. I just had the most amazing time with a great group of friends, one of my best friends in the world. Shout out Martin, he's out there in Berlin. And I felt very much at home in the city, especially because Martin connected me to his network of mushroom cultivators. And I get the sense that rare and exotic substances are just widely available and integrated into people's lives in Berlin, which is perhaps a sweeping generalization, but one that I've arrived at by personal experience. So from your perspective, Janice, what is the current social climate like around psilocybin mushrooms in broader mainstream German culture. Yeah, it's 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 super interesting. Uh, I think I'm in my bubble because I talk mainly with people that that maybe had an experience with psilocybin or at least are aware of the literature and the recent developments and as a possible uh, therapeutic for so many um, mental um, problems. So it's for me it's super interesting um i had my experiences and this is also how i really got into mushrooms i guess like many of us did um the climate is 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 difficult if, i mean we all compare it to cannabis i mean the us already has days where cannabis is, is legal and you can buy it um in, in shops this is not the case in germany and even you have this gradient from south to north and then the south, like cannabis, is is really it's it's unheard of. You shouldn't take it, and it's very like it's it has like this huge crystal meth stigma. Like people don't distinguish be between those chemical drugs and plant medicine. It's just all the same. It's just Dogen drugs. Like they they can't distinguish there. And 
I feel like now, like, I mean, weed has always been a thing, and especially in Berlin, I mean, like you said, you, you, you can get all the drugs, and I think the party scene is, is very unique there, but that seems to be contained to, to Berlin in my experience. So it, the climate here is still unknown, like magic mushrooms for people, when most people hear that. I assume they think of something dangerous or something they they say du bleibst drauf hängen like which kind of it means when you take a psychedelic drug you will never get out of this trip and you will always and there's those scare stories like we always trigger those scare stories when you talk about it and some person's not actually educated on that topic or they just happen to to only hear bad things about, about magic mushrooms, you will al always trigger those stories. Oh, like my, my uncle, like he never changed afterwards or something like that. I suspect that there were other drugs at work in many cases. Um, the climate is still, it's, it's very difficult. Um, I think cannabis kind of reaches that thing that people think of it as medicine or that it has potential. And I hope that magic mushrooms or psilocybin pubensis will follow that, but it, it will take time. Usually what we see in the U.S. takes four to ten years to swap over to, to, to Germany. And we're seeing a lot of different perspectives in the U.S. on a state-by-state -state basis with different ballot initiatives. Decriminalization has hit in several major cities and there's a lot of work being done to move this conversation forward and I'm very happy about that. But at the same time, political shenanigans move at a glacial pace. They move so slowly. So I'm already seeing people involved in these processes who are talking about 2023 when it goes on the ballot. I'm like, hey man, we're gonna move, go ahead and move this forward a little quicker. We don't need to wait for the Politburo and their gilded towers to give us the okay for this. We have enough intelligent people who don't require a nanny state, in my opinion. But yeah, so it's it's been fascinating to watch it unfold around the world. Of course, in Jamaica, they have the world's first fully legal industry. And I've got a number of friends invested and working at the ground level at that industry. And other nations are starting to see the successes. So I think there's a handful of other nations in the Caribbean who are actively designing a legal psilocybin mushroom framework for being able to attract the benefits of having this, these plant medicines, these fungi medicines legal and available to people. But obviously for large cosmopolitan countries like Germany and the United States, it's not so simple. It's a very contentious issue, even on a state-by-state -state basis. So... When did you first become interested in mushrooms? Were you just born into your German family and they just surrounded you with mushrooms? Or was it something that you had to learn and develop an appreciation for? Or maybe you had one experience that said, hey, this is something I want to invest more time and attention into. Um, that's a good question. I was actually thinking about that before the podcast. Like, when did I actually... like? when was the first exposure to mushrooms and i i would say germany is i mean on this podcast we talk in those terms is a mycophobic society i would say um because usually what kids learn is just like don't pick up a mushroom it will kill you like they're super poisonous and my father did some forging so i learned a bit about the mushrooms that you can find in our beach forests and i never liked them actually as a kid and then later on, um, I became became interested with this project with the microgreens and just the 
what I think intrinsically fascinates me about mycology and mushrooms is just the metabolic pathways that they can code for, that it's so crazy that they can eat wood and make this available, like kind of like unpack it enzymatically like with enzymes and then all, all of a sudden it's available for the rest and the like bioremediate stuff that was the 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 thing that interests me so much actually when i studied um biodiversity and ecology which is basically like studying biology in germany you don't talk about mushrooms you just have some basic information that they're important for terrestrial ecosystems and they kind of like they're important to get the nutrients back but it was more through through like personal experience in the wood and and I guess then later on also with 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 some special magic mushrooms. I would love to hear about anything you could tell us about a historic connection between Germanic peoples and fungi. And an example of this, a little bit to the south of you, I got to go to Italy a number of years ago and see Otzi, the Iceman, who is a very, very well-preserved, mummified individual, a man who lived about 5,000 years ago, and he was found with two different types of mushrooms on him. I believe a tinder conch, which would be used for carrying embers and lighting fires in unforgiving situations, and also a birch polypore, which I'm not actually sure exactly why he had that, but obviously it was important to him, and it suggested that common people in the Alps over 5,000 years ago had functional mushrooms as a part of their everyday lives. And of course, there's many different stories historically from different peoples around the world that we're starting to learn and pay attention to. Here in Mexico, there's an incredible lineage and tradition of mushroom use of all types going back thousands of years. In Chiapas, where I live, there are mushroom stones that have been found that are you know, upwards of 7,000 years old. Um, many examples of this. I don't know anything about a historic German connection to mushrooms. I don't know if you do, but I'd just love to ask if there's anything you can share with us that you know. Uh, I sadly have to disappoint you. I, I guess I'm, I'm pretty sure mushrooms were used here as well, like a long time ago. Like like you said, you find them everywhere on earth and, and just magic mushrooms, you almost find them in every culture somewhere. Um, I'm pretty sure they they played a role in some ancient German societies as well, but I'm not aware of of like a special culture or connection to 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 fungi or anything like that in Germany. But I'm just uneducated. I'm pretty sure there there must be something, and somebody probably knows about that. Have you ever considered the idea of selling your mushroom products in mushroom packaging? Because I'd love to see more companies in the functional mushroom space move in the direction of using regenerative mycelium-based packaging. I'd love to wrap my own products, the Mycoday chocolate bars, in this type of packaging. But it's not quite as cost-effective and accessible as we'd like at this point, especially here in Mexico. But it looks like that's starting to change more and more. I'd be curious if you'd ever be interested in using mushroom-based packaging for Symbio Foods. Absolutely. Packaging for us is, is an important thing to talk about, um, especially since we really want to be environmental friendly. And um, when it came to, for example, package the tea, uh, this microdose tea, the problem was like, how can we actually make an environmental packaging? Because a glass looks good and it seems environmental friendly if you put it in a glass or in a jar, I would say, in the U.S., um, but the problem is actually this is not that environmental friendly because you need a lot of like generate heat to, to form a glass 
and um, it is environmental friendly if the person will use it for some other purpose after um, finishing RT. However, um, now we use some fully 100% biodegradable um, doy packs. So that's pretty good. So people can just literally throw it on the compost and will within 180 days be soil. Um, but the packaging with uh, with with basically mushroom substrate. I, I how was the name again? Eco Ecovasive. They're doing Ecovative, of course. Yeah, they do super interesting stuff, and um, I read a lot about it. I'm not aware that there's currently somebody in Germany or Central Europe doing that. If there is, please hit us up. We would love to use packaging, uh, like mushroom packaging. We're even thinking of using our own spent mushroom substrate to kind of like form with heat and make some molds to 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 sell our products in them. Um, but we're not that far yet, and probably then you also encounter legal problems with what you're allowed to get in contact with food and so on. <laughs> that's a concept I'd love to touch upon because I'm learning a lot as I go about cottage food laws in the United States and how you can sell food products. And it's my understanding currently there are several states in the United States where you don't need to have this food handler's license depending on what you're selling. If it's a preserved food, I believe that Colorado is one of those states. Correct me if I'm wrong, somebody. And Colorado, of course, is a state where I've been able to buy some amazing products, including cordyceps, fruiting body, mushrooms that kind of skip the whole bureaucracy and it's beautiful. And I realize there are a lot of challenges doing that at scale, but that's something we're exploring in Mexico because in Mexico where we live particularly, it's very autonomous and there's not as much governmental oversight about if you want to trade with your friends, if you want to do something. So we make what I consider to be a killer mushroom chocolate product and we've got tons of good feedback. I've given it as gifts to friends in the States, but we start encountering these challenges when you think about how do we scale this and how to, and of course we have our own sort of proprietary supply chain and pipeline that we're in right now dealing with this. But it really does introduce a lot more challenges when you start thinking about these regulations, as you said, about what you can promote and what you can talk about, which I find to be patently absurd. But also I respect and understand that there are reasons that these rules are in place. We had Alex Dorr, CEO of Mushroom Revival on the podcast. And that was one of the first things he said to me when we were talking about the podcast is I'm the CEO of an FDA regulated company. I can't make certain claims about the health benefits of mushrooms, even though we both already know what they are. So I'd love if you could just talk about that climate in Germany. Is it the same if you want to sell products all over Germany? Do you have to encounter different guidelines and regulations if you want to sell your product online to someone in Italy or someone in Estonia? How does that work as far as you can say? Yeah, that is that is very difficult. And I, I suppose it's a bit more difficult in Europe and, and, and Germany than the US. However, I'm also just like looking at social media. I listen to your podcast, like most people who've been on your podcast, I follow them on social media. And it looks 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 different, it looks more vibrant, this mycology scene there. And I feel like more people are into it or broader uh, parts of society are like in this this mycosphere. In, in Germany, it's I think it's a bit different. So first of all, like I already said, you got those health claims that's now regulated for the whole Europe. Um, so you cannot actually make any claims about health benefits when it comes to mushrooms. And it, this goes even further now with, for example, one, one good example is turkey tail mushrooms. 
Um, we have them everywhere here in the forest, and they, they've been used for thousands of years in, in Europe. But at the moment, we have to fear that maybe we're not allowed to cultivate and sell them. Because we have this thing, novel food in Europe. And uh, I, please don't quote me on this, but I think foods that haven't been consumed um, or, or, or natural substances who haven't been consumed before 1973, I think, they're considered uh, a novel food. The absurd thing is, like, there's so much evidence that people consumed those mushrooms as medicine, tinctures, and all sorts of forms. Um, they're, they're very widely known. However, there, there's been, like, hard pushback from the law, from the government, that, like, probably we won't be able to sell this mushroom in future, even as a supplement. So the climate is, 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 a bit, is a bit difficult at the moment, I think. Um, some mushrooms probably, they will always stay in the repertoire, like reishi is no problem, um, lion's mane probably also not. Um, but it's very absurd because you got all that data that, that they're safe and nobody ever died from this. Like, it's, it's just absurd. And in other countries, people eat them. Like, it's, it's no problem. Um, but I fear that it will get a bit tough and that we will suffer from like some sort of corset that will make it very difficult to sell market mushroom products, functional mushroom products. One of the reasons why we need more credible people, in my opinion, to come out and talk about their mushroom experiences and to lobby for change. And we've had a number of these folks on the podcast, and I'm just I'm happy about the way that the mushroom movement is going in the United States globally, honestly. But one thing I keep hearing from people is how far ahead China is with their mushroom industry. Uh, someone yesterday told me they're literally 4,000 years ahead of us. And it, it, so we're sourcing extracts from China in bulk, getting kilos of, of cordyceps and reishi and lion's mane and a few others. And I want to jump on a plane and go over there and start meeting farmers. But again, travel has become quite a bit harder than it used to be when I could jump on a plane to Berlin in 2015 and go trip on mushrooms in Kreuzberg. It's not quite the same. Although my business partner is going to be in the EU with his wife and child uh, in two weeks. So if anybody's out there, I believe they're primarily going to be in Barcelona, but I'll try to plug you all because I love plugging and connecting the mycelial network as much as possible. It would be great. And they're mobile too, but they're encountering the travel restrictions. The original plan was to go to Amsterdam and they were going to run a marathon in Amsterdam. And you know, Holland and Amsterdam has different rules than other European countries and Italy has different rules. So it's very interesting starting a business and exporting products and selling products, especially when it's in sort of a gray area as medicinal mushrooms are and, and functional mushrooms at a global scale. It's something that, you know, I welcome all the advice and help and support we can get because it's certainly not as easy as one would wish it was. So I'm very excited that you all are doing the work at Symbio Foods and you're going for it and you're spearheading change in your community and that's where it starts and in your country. We've touched on pretty much everything that I had planned for us today. And the last question I always throw out there is what's next for Symbio Foods? What's on the horizon? What are you working on right now that you can share with us? Yeah, like at the moment, we, we also work on extracts. We also have a few more regulations here. I don't know, like we have to really work on a good recipe to make those extracts. But and we also want to use ultrasonic extraction uh, methods. So we're working there a bit with the partner. 
Um, so this will probably be next. Um, this will be the next big thing for Symbio Foods, um, the medicinal extracts. And then, of course, we work on the bioconversion of the spent mushroom substrate. We just look for ways how we can use this um, and use the value that is in there because we are we are convinced it's not just good potting soil for your balcony plants. It's it's more. There's there's something to get out of the substrate when it's used. And we'll absolutely be monitoring your social media channels. If you ever have any announcements or things you want to promote, do not hesitate to hit me up and we'll get it on our platform. Janice Rice of Symbio Foods based out of Germany. Thank you so much for joining us on the Micropreneur podcast. We wish you continued success and fulfillment in your micropreneurial pursuits. It was an honor to be on this podcast and um, I'm very happy that you exist. Because sometimes when we're really down with our business and like time is very tough and we have no money or whatever is going on, it's always good to tune into your podcast and listen to other success stories and other people dealing with similar problems. So it's, it's a really good source for motivation. There's so much to cover in the mushroom universe and so many micropreneurs leveraging the infinite potential of fungi to create a more ecologically balanced, inclusive and equitable world for all of us mischievous little monkeys. I am completely stoked that you've chosen to spend some of your hard-earned time in our little corner of the Mycoverse. Hop on the gram, say what's up, at Mycopreneur Podcast. That's the handle. Don't get it twisted. We've got the full suite of social media up and running. Twitter, Mycopreneur. Got the YouTubes dialed in, Mycopreneur. Drop us a line. Tell your grandma and your kooky uncle. Tell your wife and your kids. If you're a Mycopreneur yourself, you want to hop on the pod? By all means, willkommen, bienvenidos, welcome. Don't be a stranger. Let us know your thoughts on this episode, and also let us know what you want to hear in future episodes. This is a team effort. Thanks for stopping by the Micopreneur Podcast. Have a lovely day. We'll see you back here next week.